Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. So we want to welcome all to the uh, Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. We're very excited today to have Michael Tav, a longtime friend and um, acquaintance here in Atlanta. And uh, certainly excited to have you on, Mike. And um, super busy these days, so I appreciate you calling out a little time to be with us and to uh, talk to our guests as well. So we certainly appreciate that. Like you said, all the formalities out the way, happy to have you with us and uh, happy for you to be here. The family's doing well. Everybody good? I'm almost empty nester. All right. All right. Getting there. About about six weeks and I'm an empty nester. So really, that's that's exciting for me. All right, well, congratulations. Sure. Yeah, give your wife our regards as well. So appreciate that. So hey, just wanted to um to bring you on. Obviously, uh, you know, you've been a player in this space for a long time, and um, you know, sometimes the, the folks closest to you, you forget to call on to bring on the show. But uh, I was thinking about it the other day, and I was like, man, we really got to get Mike on here. Because of his uh, his background, so Mike, if you could tell us briefly just um, where you are right now as to you know what you're doing work wise, and then uh, and then we'll go a little bit into uh, your background as how you got there. So what's your current role in the uh, commercial real estate space? Yeah, th- thanks, Joel. So last late last August, I took a job. You know, I've been working for a while, but I hadn't had a real job in a while a job with a boss and <laughs> whole team. Uh, but I took a job back in late August with Google where they were uh, creating a new group. And this group was responsible for all of their real estate activities worldwide, including the transactions and all the strategy behind all their real estate moves. Wow. Uh, the group was called Real Estate Strategies and Transactions. So it's not construction. It's not property management, facilities management, but it's the deal side of real estate for Google. It's everything that Google does in real estate with the exception of data centers. And so that new group has one role, which was the biggest of them, about 60% of the portfolio, which the Americans. And so uh, a friend of mine called me and asked me, uh, would I be interested in being considered? It was, you know, and they explained how it was going to be formatted and everything. And it's kind of one of those things, you know, when you get a call from Google, you know, there are probably a half dozen companies that, you know, you got to really stop and think about it. And when you think about commercial real estate, there's nobody who does space like Google. I mean, it's, 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 their, it's their claim to fame, the way that they as it relates to real estate, the way that they build out their spaces, they they create their spaces, they're spectacular. And then when you understand the scale and the, the size of transactions they're doing, that was also pretty spectacular. I mean, you know, they bought Chelsea Market, mm-hmm. you know, they own King's Cross in London. I mean, almost every single major quality deal, mixed-use deal done in the corporate space in probably the past two, three years, Google was behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I mean, they're People, you know, Microsoft, for example, is doing tremendous deals, right? But but they're not buying Chelsea Market, right? Yeah. Uh, they're 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 building lots of fabulous things, and and so I just thought it was a an interesting invitation, and I I 
I followed it and I kept following it. And next thing you know, I had accepted the job to run all strategy and transactions for the Americans, for Google. I'm one of four people who report to a fifth person. And so there are three other regions plus me. And then there's, we all have a boss who is the person who has strategies and transactions globally. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, that's a, that's a full plate. You know, to be honest, I was surprised I even caught up with you because I could imagine uh, there's probably a good bit of travel and other things associated with that. So, um, you know, the, the exciting thing is it's one thing to, to look at where you are today, but how do you get there? How did, how did this journey take place? I know you started off as a, as a simple guy in the military and, um, you know, there's been a lot that's happened uh, between, you know, black hair and gray hair. And uh, how did that all come about? <laughs> First of all, I would say, you know, anybody who can go through this discussion and make it sound like that's the formula, the recipe is, I mean, that's not how it works, right? I mean, it, it everybody, everybody's path is going to be different. Everybody's story is going to be different. But there are some nuances. There are some components of it that are consistent. Mm-hmm. That should be consistent. You know, you got to do the things to to get the basic academic intellectual training and skill set so that when when you do get a call, you actually understand what the call's about. Right. Mm-hmm. So you got to get some schooling, get some knowledge. Yeah. You got to get some credibility. You got to get some deal flows and some things that you can talk about, check off that people actually say, hmm. This brother actually understands this stuff too. I mean, he just didn't read about it and go to school for it, but he he understands it. And then you need to have a network of people who kind of look out for you, help you. Could be, I got a question, give me some insights. I got a form that I need. Do you have a copy of a form like this? Do you know so-and-so? I'm trying to get in touch with them. So you need your network. Mm-hmm. And then I would say the, the last one is, you know, you just need to kind of be reactive and responsive, right? You, you can't, you, you have to listen to things and see a couple steps ahead. And you say, okay, if I do this, that's going to position me to do this maybe on my next or second or third step. Mm-hmm. And so uh, those are the things that I've done. You know, I went in the military and it trained me a lot, taught me a lot about project management, people leadership, mm-hmm how to deal with not being the boss, right? How to be a good follower, good Mm -hmm. listener, how to be a follower and make your boss look really good so that you kind of go with them. Mm -hmm. The military is really good about that, right? And some people get it, some people don't. Mm -hmm. People don't, a lot of people don't realize this, but I was also in public relations, public affairs. Um, I ran the Navy news desk, media interactions for tail hook, gays in the military, BRAC, which is base closing, for a year and a half at the Pentagon, mm-hmm. I was OI-50, which is op, uh, officer in charge of plans and policy, which really taught me how to write things, how to speak to people, how to put together communications, you know, com- compel people to do things that, you know, they don't want to, mm-hmm. not not say things that are going to get me in a lot of hot water. Right. So I did all that in the military. And then I was fortunate, Herman Bulls tapped me on the shoulder, West Point guy, one of the mentors to many people in this industry. Mm-hmm. Herman Bull said, Tab, you should come look at this LaSalle Partners. I had just gotten accepted to Monterey to get my MBA. Mm-hmm. I mean, not my MBA, my, my graduate degree. I was going for, for uh, actually uh, computer 
science, but uh, it was in Monterey Navy Postgraduate School. I just got accepted and Herman talked to me and it was combined with a buddy of mine who was on a ship who had left a year and a half before me just getting his first bonus check from Goldman Sachs. I never forget it. I'm not going to say his name, but the brother, <laughs> there was no cell phones back then. So he told me what was on his check. I said, dude, you got $250,000 as a bonus, <laughs> right? And at that point, you know, I mean, you know, I don't know what I was making, but I wasn't making nearly 250. Yeah, so yeah, I, was yeah. like, I was like, man, we working way too hard for yep. too much money. <laughs> so I took Herman's lead, man. And, and uh, I, I interviewed a LaSalle Partners and I got a scholarship. I mean, I got a job offer in at LaSalle Partners, mm-hmm. but I really wanted to go to school. So I'd also gotten some scholarships to go to Kellogg. And uh, I decided I was going to go work for LaSalle in New York. And I deferred my Kellogg scholarship with the Twigo Foundation for a year. Mm-hmm. And then after a year, not even a year, nine months, I had made vice president of LaSalle. It typically took about two years. Right. And I made it nine months. And, and it was really because being in the military, we just hustled differently. Mm-hmm. Than everybody else. I still didn't have my MBA. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided to go to uh, LaSalle and I got my promotion. I went to Kellogg and I said, man, y'all are not going to believe this, but I just became a vice president at LaSalle. I said, let me defer one more year mm-hmm. because I think I can become an equity vice president which you typically would eligible for in about three to five years. Okay. I said, but I think I can do it in New York. I'm, 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 I'm really hustling. And uh, so I deferred a second time. Mm-hmm. And I did not become equity vice president, but I became a group manager. And, and I looked around, i never forget, we hired Will Lampley in New York City. Will Lampley had been my tour guide to go to Kellogg. Oh, okay. And, and he came to New York and took a job that I had Two years ago. Okay. And I said, I said, wait a minute. So why would I quit LaSalle yeah. to go back to Kellogg to interview for the job that I had two years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, said, I, I said, something ain't right here, right? You yeah, know, yeah. Bill Lampley is ahead of me, now he's behind me. So I said, then I, I'm not coming. I'm yeah. not coming. Exactly. So I heard up and rejiggered everything, and I'd, I got accepted in the warden too. Mm-hmm. And I went to Warden. I said, Warden, look, I know I turned y'all down, but listen to my great story. I really need to come to Warden. Yeah. And they were like, man, that's all fine. Whatever. Do you want to come? You can come. So I did the Warden Executive MBA. Okay. And I went to LaSalle and I said, good news. I'm doing really well. I got into the Warden Executive MBA. I need y'all to sponsor me mm-hmm. because I had a scholarship to go to Kellogg. I'm turning it down for the right to stay with y'all in New York City yeah. and go to Wharton. I just need y'all to pick this up for me. And they were like, man, we'll let you go and we'll guarantee your bonus so that you can pay for it. I said, shit, you don't guarantee my bonus. I guarantee my bonus. I done broke every speed record so far. Yeah. I'm, I'm tripling and doubling my money. I said, y'all are not getting me anything that I'm not already earning. I said, so I went to Coke and I told them that was my biggest client. I said, Coke, I'm actually going to have to quit because I want to get my MBA and I'm, I'm just going to bank that I can come back and pick it all up. I, and they said, why are you quitting? I said, well, this, you know, and they said, oh, that's short sighted. They said, well, you quit and we'll send you there. Oh, OK. And so I quit 
LaSalle, and I went to Coke the next day. And Coke sent me the warden on my executive MBA. And I, I, I worked at Coke for three, four years. And I had agreement that once I finished a couple of projects that I was doing internationally, I'd be a candidate to be the number two person in real estate at Coke. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened to coincide right with the time that Coke got sued for discrimination and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I remember just, that. Yeah. yeah it, it, I'll tell you, it was 1999, 2000. Yeah. And so they decided that they were going to bring me to Atlanta. And, you know, I felt like it was really more they wanted to kind of say, well, we not discriminate on everybody. Look at this young brother that yeah. You know, yeah. We're, we're considering. Lo and behold, I was coming to Atlanta as the number two person in real estate. Lo and behold, the person who's number one retired like oh. two weeks later. Okay. And so I literally showed up in Atlanta as the head of real estate for Coke. I'd been in the industry now at that point, maybe like five, six years. Wow. Way too early, way too young. Mm-hmm. But I was a head of real estate for Coke. And uh, I hated it. I hated it. I hated Coke. I hated Atlanta. I loved Coke internationally. I did not like Coke being in corporate headquarters in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And that was really just a function of I just was too young. I didn't understand the corporate game at that level. People were zinging at me. And I was 34 years old, mm-hmm. replaced a man who was like 67. And, it, you know, it was just, it was brutal. Yeah. And so I did it for a couple of years and then just decided I'm going to start my own company, mm-hmm. take all these relationships, all these clients, all these investors mm-hmm. and do my own thing. So I got uh, Larry Silverstein on the World Trade Centers, Dan mm-hmm. Lovett. Uh, founder Donson Luft- Lufkin Genret, Herbert Allen, fourth largest shareholder of Coke. I got them all to back me in starting my own company. Hmm. Dan Lufkin and Herbert Allen invested. Larry Silverstein did not. And I started Red Rock Global in, in 2000 hmm. and went out on my own in 2001. It was a partnership with the Coke initially. Then I bought back Coke's part. Hmm. I brought on a couple of, you know, just solid partners. Tyrone Rochelle, many people know. Mm-hmm. He was like, he was my first person to partner with me. He he was probably month number three. Then uh, Rod Bailey, a guy who was at Cushman and Wakefield, mm-hmm. came over. And it was just, from there was, you know, it was beautiful. We spent 21 years doing great things at Red Rock. Different model, mm-hmm. strictly quiet, low key, no press releases. You're not going to find posts. You know, I'm sitting at the baseball game with Mayor Jenkins, you know. <laughs> We're not those type of, you know, just very low key and quiet. And I would argue to a fault, right? Because the world has changed, right? Mm -hmm. Where that was a plus for us early on and people admired it and you didn't even know what we were working on. And next thing you know, you'd be like, damn, I heard Red Rock did that deal. No Mm -hmm. one even knew. That was great early. Today, the world has changed. And if I was doing it over, we'd probably be a little bit more creative, a little bit more focused on marketing. And then 2021, I started getting, I mean, I've had calls over the years, but I've never had a call from people like Google. The only job I ever got that I even considered was head, uh, an offer to be interviewed to be head of the GSA, GSA administrator, the GSA uh-huh. administrator. And I just thought about it because I could have, it was, first of all, a big job. That's the federal it, government, by the way, for those who's listening, GSA. The largest real Largest real estate owner in the world, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah. I would have been a GSA administrator. This was back in the time of uh, the beginning of Obama. 
but I thought about it because it was a big job, but it was really, it would allow me to retire for the military. I could have tacked on eight more years yeah. and earned full retirement, which I had not gotten from the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I ultimately just, you know, it was too much of a financial hit and I, I passed on it, but uh, it's been a good run. But if you listen to the story, there are a lot of being reactive and responsive to changes that came your way and a lot of, you know, calculated decisions to position you for the next thing, right? Yeah. My story is different than everyone's. And you heard me, several people kind of propped me up and helped me out, mm-hmm. get me things. Like I got the Coke job, not because I was so brilliant in real estate, but there were two or three Coke people who just really loved me and they batted hard for me. And so there was a national search for a head of real estate and it boiled down to me and a couple of other, you know, people probably cost 10 times as much as me. And the reality is, do you, do you give this young brother a shot at a third of a cost or do you go with this older, more established guy at, you know, three times the cost and uh, pick your poison? And, and, and they gave me a shot. Yeah. They probably credited it, but they, they gave me a shot. <laughs> well, no, you know, there, there's a lot that you, you brought up that I thought was uh, very important. One of the things, and I, I just want to circle back to this before we, we go a little bit further, but you mentioned about marketing and you said you would have probably done things a little bit differently. Do you think that's solely because the world has changed or is it a lot to do with how Google has become such a household name because of marketing? Has working for them kind of changed your perception of, perception of that? or what No, it, it has nothing to do with Google. Okay. I had made up my mind on that long before. You know, and, I, and you know me, Joel, and maybe a couple of people on this call know me. I'm a, I'm a keep it real person, right? I mean, yeah. I often to a fault. I believe that you don't talk about what you're about to do. Mm-hmm. You talk about what you have done, right? Because when you get out there too early, things change, sometimes not in your control. Mm-hmm. And then you spend your life explaining how it changed and making excuses and People then hear about what you're about to do. Some people try to side cut you and some people, mm-hmm. you know, throw up hate, haterade blocks in life. I mean, it just is it, you don't benefit from. It. So, you know, keep it closer to the vest, tighten it up, get it going and talk about it when it's time to really talk about something. Right. I think we often too, people come in with I got a plan and they got a picture and they vision and stuff. People don't pay you for no damn plans and visions. Right. They play. When you got site control, you have financing, you know how the path to get entitlements, that's when they step up, right? You talk to people who come in with their plan and then you say that, they're like, oh, well, you know. Yeah, you're me when you're ready. Yeah, you, you're so down, you're so negative. I mean, you know, the, the, the bookshelf is littered with plans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was our philosophy based upon that, right? You know, let's just speak close. Lots of our clients, we didn't, we didn't want it to be about us. Like we represented one time, we represented Russell, Perry, uh, Noel. I'm just talking about Atlanta. Yeah. Right? And we don't need to run around being bigger than Russell, Perry, and Noel, right? Yeah. Let, let, them, let, them get the, let them get the shine, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we can stay in the background. And for years, people didn't understand. We never did any development stuff here in Atlanta, but we did, dealt, did, did development stuff everywhere else. And it was real simple. We didn't want to compete against our clients. Yeah. And then, you know, things change and people start picking other brokers and not caring about your business. So then you say, okay, well, hell, 
you know, game game time. Get gloves off. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so yeah. that's the style we had. Now, fast forward today. Mm-hmm. I remember a good friend of mine, Barry Bird, mm-hmm. sold Noni juice. Right. And Bird had nice cars and stuff. And I say, Bird, man, you spent a lot of money on a lot of. He said, dude, Tab, nobody want to follow a person who look broke. Right? Yeah. <laughs> he said, so, you know, my business is about getting people to follow behind me, man. And so I got to look the part. That's today, right? You know, there are a lot of people out there today who I remember when those same people didn't have anything, mm-hmm. right? And now they have something or the appearances of having something, right? And it just builds momentum. And one thing you will learn about people who are not, us, not African-Americans, is they they really only want to follow and latch on to the leader, the winner, mm-hmm. right? And so it, it perpetuates itself, right? So if I run around and say, oh, I'm the one who did the deal for Vilestone at Morris Brown to buy the debt, and then I'm the one who did the deal to sell the building at Jordan Hall, mm-hmm. I got paid on both sides of the deal that appearance begins to get more people behind you. I'm not that type of person. I actually read, I actually listen to people. So I don't need to have that superficial acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. But I do realize that today, because there's so much power in media, lots of people jump behind that superficial acknowledgement. And we just have never done it. And we we should do more of it. Yeah. Was that that answer your question? That was good, Mike. That was good. Now we appreciate it, and and it's it's a different perspective, but it makes a lot of sense, you know, from what you see out here. Because, like you said, everything today is uh, look at me, look at me, look at me, and um, it's it's a different approach. But a balance between that and what you just described uh, certainly makes sense. So we used to always say, "Sharpest brothers you never heard of." Yeah, there you go. There you go. You know, and and you've done that. You've certainly been under the radar you know, and uh, stayed out of the, the limelight from that standpoint. So, you know, we, we certainly appreciate you sharing that. You know, one other thing I, I wanted to mention, um, especially for the benefit of our, our guests, is you emphasize the point of, really, you have faith in yourself. I mean, for you to turn away some of the opportunities that you had, you know, to go for it, basically, took a lot of courage. And, uh, you know, that's certainly easier to do when you're younger, you know, but you, you did it and, um, you know, it paid dividends, but you had the the wherewithal and the energy to um, to make that work out. So what would you say about that for some of our, our newer ones in the industry that are certainly also trying to decide, well, you know, do I have faith in myself or do I go get that nine to five and collect that paycheck every week? Yeah, I mean, so I, I you know, I do have the confidence. I do have faith in myself, but I don't want to under under undersell it at all. Mm-hmm. I talk to a lot of people. So a lot of these career decisions where I say I have faith in myself, mm-hmm. I talk to people too. I talk to, first of all, I talk to my wife, right? Because it's it's both of us. And, you know, my, my decisions impact all of us. So, um, but I would also talk to a few advisors, you know, people who I have a lot of respect for in this industry, you know, Quentin Primo, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Ron McDonald, Alan Braxton, some of my LaSalle alumni mm-hmm. people. And they're not all African-Americans. You know, I told you, I know Dan Lufkin, who founded DLJ. I just was in New York for a week. I mean, I spent half a day at Allen and Company with, with Dan Lufkin talking. And, and just to tell you how the world works, now my, my son is a first-year analyst at Allen Company, right? People, 
People don't even know who Allen & Company is. They're very quiet. They're the ones who host Sun Valley every year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're absolute beasts. My son, Nicholas, who's 22, only young African-American there, got more assignments in his first month there than any other analyst. He's the only one who's not an MBA. He's, he just graduated from college and he's a monster, right? It's, it's that type of thing, being able to pick up the phone and run things past other people. And you don't always do what they say. You don't always agree 100%. You might tweak it a little bit. You might dismiss it. Mm-hmm. But you want to get other people's perspectives. And so you need to fill your, fill your life with some people who have that type of intelligence and experience and will keep it real from you. You don't want people to just always be like, oh, man, that's great. Yeah, I would do that. Just that's beautiful. Yeah, go do that. You, you will struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you don't need to fill your quibble with uh, yes men for sure. Yeah. Some folks that are going to bring value. And, um, you know, let's start uh, opening up the line. We're, we're going to do it a little bit earlier today because uh, we have a, a lot of guests here that may want to ask questions. So if you can, uh, just put those in the chat and uh, we'll start going through those as they come in. So one thing that, that you mentioned, obviously, you've been able to uh, build this tremendous network of people in order to, to tap and, and to build on. How would you recommend that other individuals do that? Let's say for ones that are really starting off in their career. Uh, you mentioned that there was quite a bit that you did in like your first five years. What do you recommend to those who maybe are just five years in and they're trying to get their feet wet or, or really get going as regards building networks and things of that sort? Man, I, I believe the key to all growth and networks is, is your inner circle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you're going to hear me say it over and over and over again. I've had some tremendous people. I went to Wharton, right? But People at Warden don't know me from a can of paint, mm-hmm. but but I had a really good relationship with Integral and several of the people at Integral, specifically Edward Perry. And I mean, he single-handedly just essentially has made Warden show me love, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and raise my, my, my stature at the institution, right? Those type of people who will not just talk to you, but actually, you know, do something for you, pick up the phone for you, mm-hmm. write a letter for you, you know, help you sit down and, and draft up something on a whiteboard if you got a big idea. You need people like that. They probably evolve the, the, the bigger you senior you become. So at a five-year stage, it's just people who have been in, you know, five to 10, 15 years who can just help you make better career decisions, you know, help you maybe save money a little bit differently or, you know figure out which organizations are wasted time, which ones are good to go spend an afternoon at. You know, everybody can't go to every single thing, so you got to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. As you get to the 10-year point, you might up that a little bit more. It might be, you know, am I going to start a business? Do I have a law firm that really understands what I'm trying to do? So I would tell the five-year people to first and foremost learn, really, really learn, don't just do deals, understand them, learn them. Put some credibility on your resume of deals you've worked on and then begin to build that network of, you know, people who become your sounding board. Okay, all right. That sounds good. Now, one question that um, <clears throat> we also get from time to time, actually quite often, is uh, 
you know, how would you compare the value of like a CCIM with uh, an MBA? And that question seems to come up a good bit. But what's your your initial thoughts on that? It depends on who you're talking to. As, first of all, the CCIM knowledge, mm-hmm. outstanding, fabulous. Yeah. Everybody recognizes that. And the MBA knowledge, outstanding, fabulous. Mm-hmm. MBA is probably a little more broad, right? CCIM mm-hmm. is very specific. So I, I think they're both super opportunities from the standpoint of educating yourself. CCIM and an MBA from Wharton are not the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So. It's, it's just the same. It's, it's not the same. So there's a reputational thing that when you say I got an MBA from GSU, that's not the same thing as saying I'm just a CPM, CCIM. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you don't both have intelligence and smart, but just from a pure credentials and a resume standpoint, there, there is a little bit of perceived difference. Where it is makes it extreme. Versus other places, it just makes it a difference. But I think I encourage everybody, if you can get a CCIM, to get it because it's it's concentrated, intense knowledge that you can do as a add-on. Doesn't mean you can't have both, right? I mean, there's no reason why you have to pick or choose. I would never, though, tell a person to think of CCIM as a as an option to an MBA. I would say think of CCIM as a great educational, academic, credentialing thing that you should get if you can get it, period. I think of MBA as a great educational, credentialing thing that you should get if you can get it, period. Get them both. (laughs) And when you finish with them, go get your doctorate and just keep moving. Become a beast, right? I mean, you know, you don't have to stop. Oh, I got this. I'm done. And that. No, good point. Good point. So, you know, it's, um, like you said, there's certainly value in both. Uh, but the question comes up a lot, so that's why I wanted to ask it. So certainly It's appreciate- a great question, but it's often people think they're like, well, if I got one, then then I probably, you know, it's not as important to get the other. Yeah. They're not the same thing. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. A, a Wharton MBA certainly would be broader, and uh, CCIM is laser-specific, but very, very good. So, you know, we certainly appreciate that. Let's uh, let's go to one question. Natalie Jerome had a question here. Uh, what was your favorite real estate project to date, and what was your biggest mistake on a project? So, you want to take the first one first. What was your favorite real estate project to date? What would you say to that, Mike? Yeah, my firm wrote the uh, economic parity study for East Greensboro in North Carolina, and it was the most scientific real estate analysis we've ever done mm-hmm. that I had ever done. And it was in the heart of a cool, historic, good group of African-Americans. And it just, it was a meaningful study. It became the basis for the redevelopment plan for Greensboro, which they did a couple of the things that were in our study. We did the same thing for Fayetteville. Fayetteville now has RFPs out based on our study. We did it for Jacksonville. So we've done those, a lot of those, but the one I like the most is Greensboro because of the people. And it, it was really, really, it was, it was solid. It was, uh, it was enjoyable, impactful, and it was quite educational for me. I'd never experienced that. Okay. For disappointment or failure on a project, it might've been 
some work we did in Atlanta for HDDC. We used to have the old Atlanta Life buildings, 142, 148 Atlanta yeah. Life, mm-hmm. right on the corner of... Uh, Piedmont and Auburn uh-huh. and they didn't go forward and 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 it wasn't because we didn't do anything real estate wise but it I mean you can see they're still sitting there right it's just it was so hard getting the client and some of the community stakeholders to be reasonable that they passed on several different good opportunities mm-hmm. that just fell apart. People don't know this, but Craig Robinson had gotten them new market tax credits, TAD dollars, everything. And they lost them all because they couldn't make up their mind to mm. do what they would do. So they, they lost all the money. Wow. It, it, just, wow. it was a terrible disappointment. And uh, it's still a disappointment. It's uh it was bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that's a challenging corridor. But um, you know, as well as I do, when that, when that money is available, you need to grab it and hold on to it tight before it goes away because it will go away. Yes. So, so certainly appreciate that. All right, we don't have any other questions that have come in just yet, so we'll uh, we'll just keep going. What do you see for uh, Google going forward? You know, where would you like to take Google from a real estate perspective now that you've uh, got the steering wheel in your hands? You know, what, what would you what would you like to see? I, I would say I'm I'm holding the steering wheel, but I am not driving. Okay. Right. <laughs> you know? so hand on it. <laughs> I'm reaching out, my hand is touching it, right? And <laughs> now now don't get me wrong. I, I I am responsible for the Americas for strategy and transactions, but the way Google is in any company of that scale, mm-hmm. the CFO and the head of real estate, not even my boss, there are only two people between me and the head of me, me and the uh, CFO, mm-hmm. and that's my boss and the head of real estate. So, but those two people with me, we it's a very flat organization. We talk about it all the time, but but Google is really run by the business, the business leaders of which real estate is a function, but it's not a business leader. Mm-hmm. And so we are re- responsive and supportive, not necessarily driving, right? But the, the company is trying to continue to do real estate that's more creative, mm-hmm. more cost-effective, and do it in ways that just add value to the company. At the same time, other people are trying to really understand, predict, get their arms around this new change in the workplace environment, you know, mm-hmm. the yeah. return to work. How does it look? You know, how do we deal with the fact that now there's a lot of people uh, teleworking, remote working, mm-hmm. a hybrid working, you know, so just that is a big challenge. That's not my direct area, mm-hmm. but it influences what I do. We have some huge initiatives. It's my first two big initiatives that will be announced this year. I mean, uh, major, major transactions. And then we have some things happening as it relates to to vendor and procurement and diversity. You know, I I put together the beginning of my team. For many of you don't know, Janelle Beasley is is one of my top people. I mean, she's she is the level directly below me, uh, reports directly to me. We have a we have an Asian, a Latino, uh, an Italian, 
an Irish, Janelle and me, right? And so, I mean, you know, we are, we laugh. We are the most diverse team that's been put on, in place that I've seen on any call that I've been on. But, but we all get along. Everybody's top-notch, outstanding quality. And uh, we're going to continue that. We're trying to figure out how to, because we don't control procurement, we're trying to figure out how to properly influence some of the procurement cycle, mm-hmm. procurement uh, uh, process and getting more women and minorities in the door. I think that we will next year in our second year, I've only been there 11 months, in our second year begin to kind of touch and make some some head, headway in some of those type of efforts. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, <clears throat> that sounds good. Um, let me ask this, just one, one question is more of a side note. You mentioned that data centers were not part of uh, the group that's underneath you. Why, why would that be the case? Any idea why that's called out? I kind of curious about that. I can only say I can speculate, right? I don't know for sure. I can only speculate. But I would say that one reason is data centers are really kind of an extension of engineering. Mm-hmm. So the control of what that space looks like is held much, much deeper within the business unit. Right. Where office, real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Office, so so in other words, data centers, and, I, and I'm gonna say it this way, but it's not literal, right? It's not about the real estate, it's about we need the data center for the business. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that means we need that real estate, right? I mm-hmm. mean, so it's it it aligns as it should more in the business. Whereas office space, I mean, we have all type of different people in office space, yeah. different groups. Okay. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. The real estate is secondary to the first part, which is yeah. The, and, and I said that having never had anybody explain it, so I, that answer could be, be completely be wrong, but it makes sense to me. Well, you you've been around the block long enough, so you know I'm sure that's probably the right answer. Yeah, it's <laughs> it got to be somewhere close. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, all right, let's see here. Have we had, or do you have any advice for overcoming a company's historical reliance on this is the how it's always been done? Mindset. Yeah, yeah, I got you. How, how do you become an agent of change? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, I would tell you that the first thing you probably can take away is that it's always going to be tough. Even if, like when I was at Coca-Cola, we were going through a change period. I mean, it was announced as the change period. But if I told you everybody fought every bit of change that came that way, it was terrible. And because I was so young and so new and brand new to Atlanta, I did not have the the the, the behind to, 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 to take that, right? I, I was just getting whipped, right? Yeah. If I had been there, you know, as a 30-year veteran, you know, in almost 60, then I probably would have had it better. You know, I would have had more horsepower behind me. But back then it was tough. I've come into Google within a time of change, some internal, some in the world. Uh, and I am much better positioned. You know, I mean, I like I said, I'm two people away from the CFO. And, and you know, I mean, I I can argue, debate with anybody on any real estate. You know, I mean, I just... I've done development. I've done property management. You know, I, I done cut grass at Fort McPherson. I mean, we did it all. Right? So, so, you know, it's we're not going to get out real estate, mm-hmm. right? And 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 so it's it's 
it's a different time. I would tell a young person, figure out who in your organization is your ally. Mm-hmm. And if they have more horsepower than you and work with them to affect that change, as opposed to you as a younger person trying to do it, you honestly, you really can't do it as a young person. You can only contribute to it. And if it really bothers you personally, it's tough, right? Because organizations just, you know, they're not, every organization is resistant to change. People just don't like it. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, yeah. No, good point. Good point. So you got to work through that. So good advice. Hopefully uh, that was well received. Uh, Eric Pingley wanted to know, how did, how is the current financial environment, interest rates, inflation, war, influence your real estate strategy? Good yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From two different perspectives. From a literal perspective, unfortunately, I mean, it's Google, right? So we, we're not subject to those same constraints. Got but, a whole lot of cash. Yeah. What y'all want to do. Yeah. But. What happens is it makes people really think and second guess every financial decision, right? Mm -hmm. Not because we don't have the money, but just because is it a prudent thing to do in light of where we may be going from an economy, right? Sure. Uh, Is it it going to affect the stock value? Is -hmm. it going to uh, position us to where we're going to have to go down a path and then we might end up turning our, our backs on some of the community or social things that we want to do because they just can't do it with us unless we can pay for it all. Right. It's not about our money, but we're doing things with other people and their money may dry up. Mm -hmm. And at some point when you get down that road and their money is drying up and they're your partner. Yeah. You want to carry it all. Everybody turn to you and be like, dude, can you break us off? So it, it, it is making everybody take a pause and think it through, really, really, really analyze the quality of the, the relationships you're getting into and not just spending money because you could, right? We could do a lot of stuff, but that too is not a signal we want to send, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's tough. Everybody feels the pain. Yeah, yeah. Very, very good point. All right, appreciate that. What was your first known racially motivated commercial real estate rejection? I don't know how you want to answer that, but um, I'll throw it out to you. And uh, right, I, I I don't I don't know what the first is because I may not have known mm-hmm. it was the first. Right, could have been too young to realize it. Yeah, but but the question was clear. It says that you knew of, mm-hmm. or that you thought you knew of. I would probably say with Cincinnati. We were the redevelopment advisors for PNC Bank for Cincinnati over the Rhine. Mm-hmm. And we uh, had three sites. Well, we, were, we looked all over over the Rhine and we came up with a redevelopment strategy that impacted three different sites. And um, only one of them got approved. And it was because that was the one that was in, I say, was in the most diverse gentrifying location. Mm-hmm. The other two that would have had a huge impact, but they were in the heart of the black community, both got rejected. So mm-hmm. they we 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 studied a whole area, came up with three plans, they picked one, rejected two. And it just so happened the two that they rejected were the ones that were in most need. Now some would argue 
that's because in those areas, the economics didn't work as well. And so therefore it was justified because they weren't as strong financial deals. But my answer to that is the whole reason we were brought in was by the community redevelopment group to do community redevelopment projects, right? Yeah. So I would have said, you knew that shit was gonna be the case from the beginning. Right. <laughs> you brought us in. And, 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 and the irony is even you only picked the real good, simple stuff. Yeah. That was, that was a tough one. Wow. But, but you, you know, I say it was that, but I mean, do you really know? I mean, I'm not the head of the PNV, PNC investment committee, right? Yeah. They could say, you know, all that's very true, Ted, but we don't answer to you. We answer to shareholders and our shareholders yeah. voted based upon returns. Yeah, yeah. Well, good point, man. But thanks for sharing that that story and uh, and putting that out there. Um, I see a lot of love here coming in for Janelle Beasley from uh, Carrie and Sabine. Good to see you as well. And uh, yeah, uh, Janelle, um, I was actually uh, with her not too long ago at a function. So um, yeah, they, you guys are making a great team. A lot of a lot of good stuff coming behind that. All right, let's see. Say your ass. What soft skills and hard skills do you feel have been the most impactful? And your ability to add value to your clients, and that led you to be able to strengthen your abilities to serve in your role as you've grown, aside from your degrees. So hard skills and soft skills, uh, what do you think has been the, the most impactful? Would you say, Mike? Yeah, I, I would say hard skills probably just being able to probably go the absolute extreme limits of being hard and aggressive without crossing over so far that people get pissed off at you and walk away, mm -hmm. right? You know, being able to take it to that brink without having the deals blow up, mm -hmm. you know, we are very aggressive, hard, but we don't do it through tone, right? We do it through lots of calculations, analyses, facts, which, which, make it to where people don't get as offended, right? Because yeah. you can all say, well, dude, I'm not, that's what it, look, that's what it said. I mean, <laughs> you know, do the math. I mean, you know, don't get mad at me. It don't make no sense. I mean, and, 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 and that works well when you can do it from that way, as opposed to just, you know, buffaloing people and, and <laughs> uh, soft skills, I would argue very, we, and, and it's probably not me as much as it is Red Rock Global in our culture. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm saying that like I'm Red Rock Global, but, but what I really believe and we practice at Red Rock, we viewed ourselves as being the people who bridge what the everyday community people are feeling mm -hmm. and, and suffering with what the very academic, technical, Wall Street investor side is seen, right? We can talk both sides, right? It's kind of like code shifting, right? And uh, you you can go have a meeting with JP Morgan about financing and understand all the ratios and numbers and issues that they're facing and underwriting a project. Mm -hmm. And then you can go back to the community and explain and say, look, you just not going to be able to get a Whole Foods right here on Bankhead Highway right now. Yeah. It just, it ain't going to happen. It ain't, ain't going to come. And here's what happens when a whole food is here, right? You know, explain it. We had this example in East Greensboro where the, in a, com a community meeting, everybody was yelling because they were saying all the 
grocery stores were terrible. And then I said, uh, I need you to do this. Take your next grocery bill and go to the grocery store that you think you like Mm -hmm. and go find those same things and first see which ones are at that grocery store and then see what you pay for them at that grocery store. Mm -hmm. When they came back, they were like, Tab, half the stuff wasn't there. (laughs) All the other half was more expensive. Hell, they can keep that grocery store. So just give us the best progress we can get. Yeah. That's literally tone change. Right. And 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 so we we do that very effectively. And I, I practice that every day within Google, right? It's not East Greensboro community versus JP Morgan Chase, but it's, you know, hey, you guys are asking for the moon. I mean, it's just we just can't get it. Yeah. You know, that's actually a, a real good point, Mike. I mean, how you brought that out, you know, the idea of in all your your strategies using data and statistics so it becomes less personal you know it's just like look here's here's the business narrative here's the numbers you can't argue with that and so that's a a very good thing i think to walk away from this meeting with as well you know it's how you do this podcast i should say um because that's a very good point you know just the facts don't lie right yeah i mean every failed project there's something behind it right yeah look at Fort mcpherson right Mm -hmm. we told Herman Howard and those guys when they were doing the charrette that that they should have based it on feasibility then gone to the community but they didn't they went the other way they went to the community got the community inputs and then drew, drew it well the community didn't, didn't didn't tell them anything that was feasible yeah so you 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 couldn't get it done there's the capital would not flow to that because it wasn't feasible mm-hmm. right those are the challenges that you got to be able to bridge yeah right it, you know, it is what it is. They're not easy conversations. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say we we pride ourselves in being able to deliver those messages. And I'm not saying they always are agreed upon. Part of it is how you deliver it, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. Knowing how to how to talk to people is always very important, you know, from that standpoint. So certainly appreciate you sharing that. I know um, also you sent something out the other day that I believe Google was hiring. Uh, anything you want to mention about that briefly? Yeah, I would tell you, Google is very much hiring. Uh, real estate is hiring. They're not all under me. I would, I would, I don't remember what the the site is for for Google hires, but there's a site where you can see Google job opportunities. I would say that you should look at them. And and the the best way to get an opportunity at Google, I believe, I, mm-hmm. I say this, and it's not the process I followed because I didn't kind of come in that way. Right. But I've hired other people that way. Is Find the job you like and then reach out to the people you know at Google to see if they can help you get elevated up into the, you know, basically get your resume looked at. If right. you just go apply for it, you could get it, but it's it's hard, right? Somebody got to go get your resume and bring it up to the top, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's the thing you got to be offend, not offended about. Sometimes you may find something, call your contact to try to get in there. And your contact might tell you either that job's already being targeted for somebody internally, or I just don't see that your strength is going to, to, to translate for that job. doesn't mean you can't apply still. It just means that person doesn't know that you can be competitive to get it. Right. I had some people call me, for example, on sustainability. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's because they had done sustainability. 
And the person we ultimately hired was, you know, like a PhD who had done sustainability consulting for like, I mean, it was, and I'm not saying that all people, that's what it's about, but, but sometimes it's really hard to compare with that horsepower, you know what I mean? And so if you get that feedback, all I would say is don't be offended, just take it for what it is and then either dismiss it or, or act upon it. But, uh, that is the easiest way to get in. There is a website and every job is posted and you just got to flow through the ones that you think you fit and then figure out who the two or three people you are at Google. Even if they're not in real estate, you can still ask them because they can get to the people within real estate and ask easier than you could ever do it. Yeah. And if they agree with you and they, they're your friend, they'll, they'll take that two minutes to do that. That's what I talk about when I say, you got to have people who will try to help you, right? If, if they won't go that length to even help you figure out about the job, right, then, you know, that. Got to find another friend. Well, it might be your friend, but they're just not that type of friend. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. You know. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense, makes sense. So, all right, so in conclusion, um, you know, what do you, what's Google's, if you could share this, what's Google's plans for Atlanta? Are we looking at possibly having a Microsoft situation or? Is that something that you might be able to get into at this time? You know, what's Google's plans for Atlanta? I would only share two things. I would say, wait and see. Okay. And just know that this is our largest DEI market Mm -hmm. in the company worldwide by at least a multiple of two. Really? We are killing. We are killing. And... We, we're we're growing exponentially, uh, not just growing, but growing with people like us exponentially. So I say that other than that, just keep keep an eye out, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds really good. So, Mike, we're we're up against the um, hour deadline. I, I generally try to keep to the schedule. So certainly Thank appreciate you. that. Um, you know, every time we bump into each other, we say we got to get together. So uh, I'm going to reach out to you after this and um, let's, let's really get together. I mean, we haven't sat down and actually talked for a minute. So, um, you know, I, whenever you're in the Lance, I know you're probably running around a lot, but uh, we'd love to certainly catch up and, um, you know. Yeah, and anybody who's on this, you know, if they want to connect, just just hit me on uh, LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Okay, okay. Um, happy to talk to people. I, it is very hard for me to do stuff during the week, but I'm I'm pretty good on the weekends, you know. You know, mm-hmm. grab a coffee in the morning on Saturday, something like that, or or have a 10-minute conversation, 20-minute conversation on Saturday, Sunday afternoon type of thing. Yeah. Uh, but for Joel, for you, let's just connect, man. Any, uh, any uh, time, yeah. We'd love to sit down with you and catch up with you. It's been a long time, too long. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we'll make that happen. So, Mike, we, we certainly appreciate it. Um, you know, certainly congrats to all your success and all that you've been able to accomplish. Part of your story, I didn't even know. So I appreciate you sharing all that detail. That was exciting. And I uh, would like to thank all of our guests also. This is uh, the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. And to our special guest, Mike Tab. we thank you very much. We're excited you were here with us today. And I uh, certainly look forward to seeing you. Absolutely. Take care, everybody. Thanks, man. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Take care, y'all. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.